Chapter 19 of Dave Dashaway Around the World by Roy Rockwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 19 Strange Companions our hero was not slow in discovering that the native saw something in the ring he wore which centred his attention and interest as dave smiled and looked upon him in a friendly way the man showed less strangeness and timidity he touched the ring now and arose to his feet he again touched the ring and then two of his fingers dave fancied that he understood his companion he believed that the man wished to inform him that there was another ring, two rings, both alike. Then the native again inspected his restored prayer mill. He gazed at it fondly, with a great smile of joy. He pointed at the spear and shuddered and shrank away from it. Then he fairly beamed on the young airman. He dropped to the ground and placed Dave's foot on his neck. He acted as if he wanted his new friend to know that he was his slave for life. After the man had gone through all these maneuvers, Dave held up the ring. The native made a motion to describe a long flowing beard. Adrianovsky wore such, and doubtless his partner did also. Now our hero felt certain that not only was the ring familiar to the native, but likewise that he was telling that its duplicate belonged to Ben Mahanadadasi, and that he knew the merchant. Where, spoke Dave, and exhausted his pantomimic skill in trying to express the word in signs. He pointed first in one direction, and then in the other. His companion followed every gesture he made intently, seeming anxious to understand what he meant. The man pointed to the southwest and moved his finger along the horizon. He tried to express distance. The young aviator by signs conveyed the idea that he wished to see the owner of the other ring, the man with the long flowing beard. The native nodded a dozen times with intelligence and satisfaction. He promptly took up his knapsack and spear and faced about, posed to assume the part of a guide. The pilot of the comet did not wish to leave his friends without apprising them of his intentions. He motioned to the native to remain where he was. He then went up the hillside about halfway. He knew that his comrades could now hear him. Dave, in a sing-song voice, so as not to make the native suspect that he was speaking to anybody, managed to tell Hiram and Elmer as to his plans. When he came back to the valley, the man started away, and Dave followed him. It was not more than three miles from the hill that they began to near a high enclosure. It was formed of high, thick stakes driven close together, and was a kind of palisade. The native halted at its rear. He selected one knotted stake and ran up it with the agility of a monkey. 
he disappeared on the other side. Then there was the sound of a metal latch moving, and a section of the palisade opened. Dave's guide pulled him inside a yard. He led the way to a flat, broad building that filled all the front of the place. They entered a room, dimly lighted, piled high with furs, pelts, and wicker boxes of merchandise. It was a great warehouse, the young airman surmised, stored with rich silks from Persia, teas from China, ivory and oils from India, and minor supplies for the secret guarded gold mines of Tibet. When they came to a door with a sash in its upper part, Dave glanced curiously through this window. The front of the building was open. Upon platforms there were displayed in great confusion all kinds of goods. A noisy throng was bartering and bustling about, as if it was some street fair. Beyond them were rude wooden-wheeled vehicles and yaks, camels, and even bison used as beasts of burden. Rude and uncultured as the native was, his loyalty to Dave seemed to arouse some instinct of caution. He motioned his companion to remain where he was and passed out into the emporium. In a very few minutes, he returned with a long-bearded man. Dave noted his resemblance in features and dress to Adrianovsky. It is Mr. Adasi? spoke Dave. The merchant bowed assentingly, but stared wonderingly at his visitor. It appeared that few persons foreign to the country ventured thus far into Tibet. I came from Mr. Adrianovsky, explained Dave. He gave me this ring, and our hero exhibited the object in question. Ha! "'Then you must be a very good friend!' exclaimed the Russian, his face brightening into a warm welcome at once. "'My poor roof, as was his, is yours!' Dasi led Dave to a far end of the house, where there was a comfortable room. Its owner spoke English quite as well as his partner. He told his guests that he would get through his trading as quickly as possible, and return to entertain him. This did not occur for nearly an hour. It was dusk by then. Lamps were lit, curtains drawn, and two native servants brought in an appetizing meal. All this time, the native to whom Dave had restored the prayer mill lay down upon a mat in the room. Adasi explained to his guests that the man was named Fayao. He was a trusted agent sometimes employed by Adasi in making sales to persons in Lhasa. The young airman found Adasi to be quite as kindly disposed towards him as Adrianovsky had been. Dave inquired closely as to Lhasa and its mysteries. Finally, he made up his mind to implicitly trust his host. From an inner pocket, Dave drew a photograph. It was the one furnished to him at Washington by Miss Edna Dean, the picture of her missing brother. "'I have come a long distance to find this man,' said Dave. "'He is an explorer, 
detained in Lhasa. "'You expect to find him?' exclaimed Adasi in a startled tone. Ah, "'My friend, you seek death in even speaking of it, should one of the faithful hear you. Many rash explorers and adventurers have ventured to pass the gates of Lhasa. They have never returned.' The speaker, as well as the young airman, started as a voice behind them uttered a sharp, intelligent sound. It proceeded from Fial, who, unheeded by them, had been moving about the room. Looking up, Dave saw the man with his eyes fixed upon the photograph. "'Speak to him,' said Dave quickly. "'I believe that picture suggests something to him.' Adasi directed some questions in the native tongue to Fial, and there was quite a colloquy between them. Then the Russian turned to his guest with the words, "'He knows the man. He has seen him.' "'Where? When?' inquired Dave eagerly. "'He does not tell. He says he will take you where you, too, may see him.' "'Take me to Lhasa?' asked Dave wonderingly. "'Yes.' His gratitude towards you is almost fanatical. Let me question further. It was at the end of a second conversation with a native that Adasi imparted some new information to the young aviator. Fayo has the right of entry to Lhasa as a traitor, he explained. Once a week, he carries dates spoiled in wild honey to the great temple of Oi Fuyan. It is there that he has seen a man, a stranger, the face in that picture. He says there are several of these intruders in the city. They have been imprisoned in strong dungeons, or given menial work to do for the priests. The Grand Lama will not permit them to be executed, for the blood of such is believed to profane the sacred city. "'But how will it be possible for me to visit the city?' inquired our hero. "'Fire will arrange all that,' he says, replied Adasi. "'You wish to know where your friend is?' "'Yes,' nodded Dave. "'He promises to show you. "'No outsider is allowed to enter the city gates unveiled. "'He says it is better to go now.' He will provide you with garb like his own. Weekly he carries two bags of dates boiled in honey to the city priest. You will help him, appearing as his servant. You will probably pass muster. But if you are suspected, it will mean sure death. I am ready to take the risk pronounced the young airman resolutely. It was half an hour later when Dave started for the sacred city with a native. Each carried a bag, each wore the native costume, and each was veiled. The pilot of the comet knew that his fellow aviators would take good care of the biplane. He was anxious primarily to find out where young Dean was imprisoned. 
he did not understand the tibetan tongue and therefore could not converse with his guide he felt sure however that he could rely on the fidelity and intelligence of Fayao. they reached the gates of the city in about two hours Fayao and his companion were admitted without challenge dave was filled with interest at all the strange sights he viewed immense temples and queerly constructed stores and houses were on every hand a busy populace filled the lighted streets fayo finally reached a temple in front of which was a great squat idol its feet alone ten feet across its hideous head reached up nearly to the roof of a high broad stone pillar-shaped structure in front of it fayo halted he touched the arm of his companion to attract his attention and pointed to the roof of the building this was guarded with a sort of railing at intervals along this lamps were burning ever and anon a bird resembling a stork would light on the railing a man approached them bearing on the end of a golden rod a fragment of food he would feed this to a bird and then go to another of his feathery visitors the young airman thrilled as in the full flare of the many lights he closely studied the face of this strange hermit aloft even at that distance he was able to observe that the lone roof sentinel was not a native it is my man spoke the young pilot of the comet to himself i have found the missing morris dean End of chapter 19